Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Welcome back. I'm delighted to say my first guest today is somebody who has been catching the eye, as I said, almost every week for the last year or 18 months. Overcame quite a serious injury, did really well as an amateur, turned professional and hasn't looked back and won't be a conditional for too much longer. Associated with a yard that has gone great guns all season, that of Jamie Snowden, who was a guest on the show two or three weeks before Christmas. I'm delighted to say very good morning. Good luck on Sunday. Welcome to Page Fuller. Page, good morning. Morning. <laughs> and we have been trying to pin you down for a little while, but you've been busy, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's really good. I, I couldn't, I could not imagine, you know, say 18 months ago, I was sort of tossing up whether or not to go professional. Um, and to say that I am where I am now is, I can't believe it really. And you'd been sort of chipping away, but without people really latching on and, and noticing for a little while as, a, as an amateur. Were you sort of thinking, is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen during that period? Well, I think I always exceeded my expectations, which is always a nice way to be. I think, you know, 10 years ago when I was sort of coming to my A-levels and everything, like, it still wasn't really a career option. So I was very much sort of in the mindset of, you know, I'm going to start pointing at 16. I was already riding out at 14 for, and I've been pony racing since I was nine. Um, and so when I got 16, you know, it was just a case of going pointing, having fun with my riding and sort of trying to work out how to fit that alongside a normal job. And once I left school and I got more into it, you know, I sort of started riding a few winners and people started to use me. And as the years went on, it sort of got a bit more momentum behind me. And, you know, I'm, now I'm sat here now and, and every year I've kind of exceeded where I thought I would be, which is always a really nice place to be. So when you were doing the pony racing and the point sporting, what normal job, normal job was on the horizon? What could it have been? <laughs> Um, I have no idea, um, to be honest, and I think that probably was half the reason why I ended up in racing because I just enjoyed it and to get off every day and do something that you love doing, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't ever. I tried a couple of internships just generally around the place when I was still amateur, but I, I ended up taking so many days off to go racing. I thought, well, it's, it shouldn't really be that way round, and and so actually, I just thought I've got to take the plunge. I, I know pony racing has been very important for for a lot of people. How important was it for you? Oh, it, it, I think it must have been very, very important. Like, I never, I never had that many good ponies or anything, and I certainly wasn't in the sort of um, red hot areas of pony racing. Um, but I started when I was nine years old, um, and I probably had four or five rides a season. And actually, you know, it, it, it very much um, it gets you race course experience. You know, getting um, to the races getting changed, you know, takes sort of half of the nerves away from when you start points pointing. Silly things like starts, you know, they are so crucial. Like, you can win or lose a race at the start, and actually, 
because I had slow ponies, I had to get a good start, <laughs> you know, and, and actually, hopefully it really helped me once I started point to pointing. Is it a bit like any other endeavour in, in horse racing insofar as you, you have to have the, you have to have the good ponies and getting them is quite hard to come by? Yeah, like when I first started, we were all on proper fluffy ponies. I was still finishing. Sort of Thelwell style. Yeah, proper. I, I think there's a photo of me from when I, my first pony race, and most of them are still in GP saddles. You know, and I have my um, dad. Dad rode in points a little bit, and I had his old exercise saddle that I was racing in. So I probably looked smarter than some of the others. But you know, I, I think once I got to the to the bigger stage of ponies, like they were all getting to be thoroughbreds or half thoroughbreds mm -hmm. and it was difficult but again like you know it taught me a lot and 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 I, I definitely I think going straight into pointing I think I think I won in my first point to point race and would that have happened without my pony racing background probably not so it did count for a lot and and some of the lads now that are coming through just you, know, you can see that it, it's like invaluable experience for them. And was it 50-50 boys and girls when you were doing it, or was it mainly men? Uh, pony racing? Yeah. Um, I think there were a lot of girls doing it. You know, back then, um, and probably still now, I, wouldn't, I haven't been pointing in a while, so I can't tell you how it is now, but like, at that level, I think there was still quite a lot of girls um, doing it. So it certainly wasn't male-dominated as such, quite like you know, the riding and point-to-points and stuff was. You mentioned your dad was a point-to-point -point rider. What kind of rider was he? A very amateur rider. He did have a winner. Um, he didn't touch a horse before he met my mum, and then decided really? he yeah, never touched a horse, and um, decided that he sort of wanted to learn to ride. And then um, through that, decided that normal riding wasn't fast enough, and he used to race cars. So he thought that actually racing horses sound like. He actually met Di Williams on a trip to America, I think, one time to watch timber racing, and Di said, "Are oh, we?" We better find you a racehorse if you're happy to race cars. You'll be fine on a horse. So at the age of nearly 40, I think, he, he rode in his point to points and had a winner and had good fun doing that. Uh, my respect for, for him has just got out of proportion. Like anyone who <laughs> has never touched a horse and suddenly gets up. But he's obviously an adrenaline junkie if he likes racing cars. Yeah, and I think I had no chance, really. You know, <laughs> With mum in horses and dad in car racing, I suppose they were always going to do someone like me. <laughs> Was your mum in racing? Um, I think her family had always had interests and um, her grandparents had her stud up in Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. um, so she used to go up there in her holidays and go hunting and stuff. But she never rode in point to points herself, but um, always had enthusiasm. You so, know. so you're the kind of first generation jockey. Yeah. Proper jockey. Yeah, I, I think my granddad rode in point to points as well, but proper, proper jockey, yeah. So there was that, there was that cusp moment where you had to decide whether you were going to be unpaid, essentially, riding points, whatever, take the, those opportunities, or, or do this properly and, and, and make a career out of it. What was the, what was the killer moment, do you think, I think that, that it, turned it? I think it was realising that I really had the support to make it sustainable. When I was riding, well, a lot of it as well is it's quite difficult point to pointing now to, to really get going pointing. And I was still in the hope that I would, as an amateur, be able to ride on the big days. And, you know, I really wanted to ride in the big festival races, you know, the Kim Muir and the National Hunt Chase. And I still was struggling to pick yeah. up those rides. And it was sort of grinding on me a bit. And, and like, I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't really get going pointing either because if I was riding at the weekends under rules, I didn't know till Friday if I was riding, so you miss out on the better rides pointing. So I was sort of picking up more spares and small, you know, rides on slightly lesser horses, and I was riding more under rules. And you know, actually, I, I think 
just as the momentum was really getting going and I had a really good um, couple of months, uh, April and May 2018, I think I rode eight winners through those months and I teamed up with Zoe Davison as well and you know she sort of su suggested that she'd support me and I had Jamie and Jamie's horses were really starting to get rolling and and um, I had a I had a couple of winners on Monbeck Theatre at Cheltenham and Haydock and I actually realised that actually like if I was ever going to give it a go it was it was then um, I was getting the volume of rides and I was getting better rides than I had done ever before and um, even uh, even with having taken three months out of my season I think I rode 14 winners mm -hmm. um, that year so like it was definitely that it was either then or never and I just went actually you got to give it a go and see how I get on. Because you, you then, just as you were really starting to roll, in the manner of these things, more often than not, you, you got a nasty injury. Just just tell me a bit about that period. Um, like, I first, like, um, I got, I broke my ankle back in um, August 2017, I think it was, and, um, or 60, I can't remember which one it was, but it was just as I was really starting to get going, and I hadn't been champion amateur at that point or anything, but... Like it was a real setback because Jamie was using me, and I was starting to build relationships with other people, and um, it it was just another. I think earlier that year as well, I fractured a vertebrae, and it was just another thing in that sort of like just stopping the ball rolling really. Um, and then I had a really good run of it, and then I broke my collarbone in the Durham National um, at the sort of December 2018, and that was really frustrating as well because you know I'd won on Monberg Theatre. At, Cheltenham and Haydock and obviously as you say the ball was rolling and and then um, Monberg was going to the actually he won a uh, he won a handicap as well at Weatherby and he was going to the West Yorkshire hurdle and so that was sort of a big stage to be on and it was would have been my first chance in a sort of listed graded race um, and it's just, you know it's just those little things that sort of annoying but actually luckily I wasn't out for too long I think it was out for five weeks um, I was back in time for Christmas um, and obviously the winter's then a bit slow and, and we had a really dry winter which for Zoe's horses as well it didn't suit us because we couldn't get them on the grass gallops and it always makes a difference and I always all love heavy ground and that so you know it was a struggle to sort of get the ball rolling again but actually you know once the ball started rolling again it it keeps rolling, doesn't it? So it just kept going, and then yeah. and then you, and the momentum was with you again. Uh, just in in terms of um, why you turned professional, were were the exploits of other women jockeys an an inspiration of any sort? The the way that Rachel Blackmore and Bryony Frost and others have have done so well in the last couple of years. I think I think they were. Um, I think I think obviously that's got to have an effect probably more on the attitudes of everyone else around me like I definitely turned because it was right for me um, mm. rather than like I'd say people like Lucy Alexander more than anyone else like who very rarely who, gets a mention who very rarely gets a mention and, yeah I'm glad you did and and she she really she really turned the tables because she was the first champion conditional and that is such a big deal and realized that actually you can just go day day in day out and ride against the lads and it be normal um, and as I say like I think I turned because it was the right thing for me to do and I think that it was the right thing to, for me to do mostly because attitudes outside of my kind of career had changed as well mm -hmm. um, and it's very much changing um, and like, I think it will keep changing and I think 
it just needs people to realise that it's not just about the big days as well, but it's about, as I say, going day in, day out to the races. You're not going to like every day at the races. You're not always going to like the horses you're riding. It's not always going to be great, but actually the best days make up for it. And it's not always a story just no. because you're riding. Exactly. It's something you do because it's your job, just like it's anybody else's job. So it's a question of normalising it, I suppose. Exactly. Um, and as I say, I, you know, I tried going to internships and finding ways to, to support my amateur career, but it was never going to happen. And actually, so I realised that for me, the only way I could progress in life in general was to find a career that I enjoyed, and that was racing. And that's just how it turned out for me. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Welcome back. You are watching Luck on Sunday. And as somebody correctly predicted over the festive period, yes, it's the same blue suit, the same dodgy hairstyle and the undusted studio. But it's great to have you with us. It's great to welcome back <laughs> Lee Mottisett and Lorne Hill alongside Paige Fuller. Welcome. Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year. Thank you. You're looking very orange today. Yes, I'm feeling very orange this morning. A little bit of colour for the studio would not go miss. So. Fantastic, fantastic. And I've just had a communication from Anna Glogg's daughter, who you'll know well, the regular uh, Twitter correspondent historian and provider of lots of memorabilia that we, we rather like to look at complaining that these pastries never get eaten and they could sort of feed all sorts of people and I need to send them to send them to his hometown to make sure that people who are going short we do eat them don't I we? I always have a pace in fact I'm looking at the what looks like the the, the pecan maple Danish there well we I thought. think actually that really it's January no one really needs to eat too many carbs in January, so we'll put that in a local food bank. And I've got some fruit for everybody because oh, I think we'd all benefit from this. And really, I mean, I know you're very trim as well, but I think you know, no carbs in January, and we'll go straight for the fruit. What do you think? I, well, I was going to make a rhubarb and apple crumble for dessert tonight. Does that count? <laughs> That'd be all right. That'd be fine. Okay. Yeah, that'd be fine. We'll let you off with that. Okay. Bless you. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I sort of, we've gone into some sort of bizarre parallel universe. Do you have any nuts and seeds for me as well? Well, I do actually. I have some oh, nuts and seeds, but they're in plastic containers, so I thought people might get a bit funny about it, so I'll yeah. put them back down there. It'll ruin the beautiful look of our set. Well, it's great to have you both with us anyway. You. you were at Sandown yesterday? I was at Sandown yesterday, yes. Um, not having as much fun with my horse. He didn't run particularly well yesterday, but onwards and upwards for future races. I noticed husband Alan was on leading up duty yesterday. He was indeed, yes. He quite likes the day out, but, um, you know, he, he yeah, he, we had a good good day, even though the horse didn't run as well as we'd have liked. And point to point is in action this afternoon? Yes, uh, well, it's, it's, it's even this morning, really. It's the first race at Lark Hill is at 10.30, uh, which is, like, very early. And um, I think his, the ladies' race is at 11.40. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, so we're hoping for a, a goodish run. It is quite a hot ladies' open there. I think Southfield Theatre is going again with Lily Bradstock on, yeah. so... It's a handicap chasers reunion. See, this is it. I don't know how often you get point to pointing, Lee, but every time I go, I'm staggered by the fact that you, in half of these open races, you've got horses who'd still be rated about above 140 on it if they were running under rules. <laughs> yeah. Who, need, who needs prize money? Well, there, that's I it. Say it. You can see it two ways, can't you? So, in one hand, you can say, well, this is an amateur sport and all these professional horses are coming along, but equally, it's great that these horses that maybe aren't quite up to winning yeah. under rules now have a second crack at um, a racing career and Put a bit, twi a bit of st um, stardust on the on these fixtures. Oh, I mean, totally. If I was going yeah, there, yeah, it'd be great to see those horses. And yeah, Paige, totally. Paige, Paige, you were saying earlier that it was actually pretty hard to to get a a real foothold because a lot of the big jobs were all were all sewn up. Yeah, there are lots of 
big, like, well, I don't know whether there are lots, but there are certainly bigger, bigger pointing establishments now, especially for buying and selling horses as well in the maiden ranks. I think it's really important for, um, you know, Ireland do it so well. I don't know what your opinion on it is, but I think, I think it could, I think it's brilliant for the sport to have these young progressive maidens that also go into to being the, the top top ranked horses later on in life. It's got to be a good thing that um, instead of just being seen as a le leisure industry, the British pointing scene is also seen as a bloodstock industry and people like um, Fran and Charlie Post are doing so well with their young horses, um, Phil Rowley uh, and, and Tom Lacey as well. It's It's got to be good for the sport. So it's a trading opportunity for young horses as well as a, a, a place where old horses go to see out the, totally, their careers, yeah. essentially. Yeah, that's exactly it. But, but we actually have a healthier, older horses scene than they do in Ireland. Um, they really they don't have many runners. I mean, a lot of the time in Ireland, I think they're open races or walkovers because it's more... They haven't got the horses by then. They've sold them all mm. by the time they get to open standard. You know, once they won their maiden, you know, maiden or winner of one, then they're sold. But it is, it is an important part of the industry and one that we mustn't lose, I would say. Totally. Uh, uh, that, that side yeah. of the sport, I don't know, I don't know how, how you found it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think. It, do you go point to point? I do. I mean, I probably maybe go once or twice a year. Place like Godstone, not yes. too far from me. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do. I, I like the, um, the, the grassroots feel to it. The fact that you're walking around mm. in your wellies. Um, you're, 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 you do feel like you're enjoying jumps racing at its sort of real base and that the people who are doing it there are doing it through absolute love partly because as I'm sure Lorne would, would would say unless you find yourself with a potential star yeah point to pointing is not really a sport you you make money out of is it if, no. if you're if you're an owner and you're going to point to pointing you do it because you want to point to pointer yeah. not because you suddenly think this could be a great vehicle to make to make money. I think so. a lot of the thing as well with, with point to pointing is going along and seeing people who then become future stars. Yeah. Like say the Jack Tudor, the Ben yeah. Jones, you know, um, Rex Dingle, we've seen these Page Fuller. people. Paige <laughs> Fuller indeed. Um, who have come on through pony racing, I think you've probably touched on this earlier, and um, through point to pointing as well. And if, you know, the, these older people probably like myself now say, oh I remember when he, you know, rode pony racing, I remember when he rode point to pointing, mm. and it's great, it's really good for the sport. It's a very, it's, I think it's in a very healthy position at the moment. I think it was you that said to me just before Christmas, this Jack Tudor's a yes. handy rider. I, yeah. Of course I took no notice. That's a shame, isn't it? You could learn so much. I could learn so much. <laughs> Lorne was very keen this morning when she came into the studio to point out to me yesterday that I said a horse was being ridden by Wayne Hutchinson, who of course had retired about, about a month ago. But uh, yeah. I'm sure I didn't, but you can go back and check the tape. Well, it's my husband who said it, so he's probably wrong. He was leading a horse around the paddock. How would he have Well, he wanted to watch the race when we got home so he could see himself on telly. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on, to, on to the feature at Sandown Park yesterday, the Grade 1 Unibet Tolworth Hurdle, which was won for the third time in five years by the Tizards, and this was probably their most impressive winner yet as well. Fiddler on the Roof as the horse in question. The navy colours with the yellow braces. Paige Fuller, what did you make of this? It was very impressive. It was really testing ground yesterday as well, and to show that turn of foot up, up the Sandown Hill was quite impressive. And, and the form of the second horse, got trumped earlier in the day anyway in the listed race with Silver Forever because it beat Silver Forever at Newbury the time beforehand so I mean the form of that race is very smart and he's just made them look everything in behind just look very moderate. Really. Robbie came in very excited didn't he afterwards yeah. um, you know he was really excited that a horse could draw away from a, a field of you know uh, equal 
um, quality, but it made them you know, look like mugs yesterday, I felt. It was very impressive. We'll get Lee's view on this in a moment. But this is exactly what Robbie Power had to say yesterday, followed up by Joan Colin Tizard. As you know, and it was much better today. I was able to take a lead. He settled beautifully. We went a good gallop, and, and the further the race went, the happier I was. You know, this, the, the further we went, the stronger we started to travel. And the most pleasing part of it was when we straightened up to the second last. We'd gone a good gallop on, on testing ground. And he actually quickened down to the second last, which was was quite impressive. So, um, look, he's plenty of options going forward because there's no doubt he will stay further as well. But as you say, he's got that little bit of speed. And do you think we underestimate him as a horse who could perhaps keep excelling over two miles? Yeah, he could, you know. And I, I just think as ground will be dependent. If it, if it dries up, two and a half would be your festival target. And if you had a, like last year, a very soft first day at the festival, he'd probably go supreme, you know. How impressed were you? Yeah, really impressed. You know, it was, um, his form's been rock solid all season, you know. The, obviously, the time heel form in, in Edwards Town beat a solid horse fires with a penalty at Aintree. So he, his form's been right. Um, I just like the way he did it last time. He knew he could come here and handle the, the sand and ground in, in the course. It can sometimes... Um, catch a novice out but um, today he, he did it really nicely and you know, Robbie was really impressed with the way he quickened off, off the back of two out he said he didn't he thought he'd outstay them but he actually he picked up as well so he's um, he's an exciting horse going forward. Spoken to Robbie Power it was quite notable how excited he was about this horse how valuable for you has his feedback been on these young horses? Uh, it's huge you know he's um you know, we've been using him for, for two and a half seasons now, but this year he's he's made himself more available and um and I think it's a big big plus from our point of view and you can you can see what's happening. You know, Robbie's Robbie's riding out as well as anybody at the moment and um he's just very, very cool and especially on these young horses. Um you know we'll see how cool he is in in February when we've got to decide which ones go to which which trips and that and and work all if they all get there in one piece for Cheltenham. But um you know, he's a big part of our team now, and um, when he's over, he, he rides everything he can. Well, this is it. They're just so loaded in, in the novice hurdle department this season. The Tizars, Fiddler on the Roof, Master Debonair, who looks really a sort of two-mile horse. The massively exciting, the big breakaway, who has just looked sensational in two starts over hurdles so far. Harry Senior, who's also got form with Edward Stone, as Joe was saying. This is a stable. I mean, they were a stable going places five years ago. Yeah. They were stable that well and truly arrived, but they've got more depth in terms of young horses than just about any other yard in the country. Yeah, the days of Joe Lively being a stable star seem like an awful long time ago. Uh, and it's, it's, the, it's the fact that the Tizards are now going into novice hurdles, the Grable novice hurdles at the festival. Well, three Tolworths in five years. Yeah, I mean, they, it's completely changed. Um, not just how they perform and their modus operandi, but the perception of the Tizards now, because they are producing these really exciting novice hurdlers. And they're in that position of having to pick and choose how they place them now before Cheltenham. Um, I suppose one, one concern would be this, that, and maybe some others as well, that they do look like future chasers who are going to really excel in soft ground, as he did yesterday. So if we happen to have a dry build-up to, to the festival, they wouldn't all be um, ideally suited by that. But I thought this lad did show a turn of foot between, between the second and the last and before the second and last flight. Mm. He quickened away from his rivals, certainly as much as you can quicken in that yeah. sort of ground. But he looks like he's got gears. And he's interesting too in that he's had quite a lot of racing mm. up yes. to now. He was beaten in a couple of points. That was his seventh run 
under rules. So by the time we get to the festival... It'd be hardy. Yeah. And if he doesn't run again, it doesn't matter because doesn't he's got to. all that experience. No, absolutely. But you're never going to get a festival on quick ground these days, obviously, for... Certainly not the first reasons. day. No, 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 certainly not the first day. So um, from that point of view, it's got to be in his favour, hasn't it? What yeah. struck me, Paige, was when Robbie Power said that he'd really felt the horse physically develop through his runs this season. Can that sometimes surprise you as a rider, how much stronger a horse will feel one day from the next, even if it's only three or four weeks apart? 100%, because um, you never know how a horse is going to mentally as well as physically take their run. And sometimes, as much like you'll feel it underneath you, but a lot of it will be mental as well. Like if they've had their first run and they're a bit shell shocked, you know, they'll be a bit buzzy and a bit lit up and they'll do too much next time, or, you know, or they'll just generally feel tired and weak. So, you know, as, as Robbie said, he's come on massively for each run. And he's a big horse as well, isn't he? He is, uh, but he looks like he's well proportioned. He's, yeah. It's not li like he's grown in different parts. He's yeah. grown as a, as a whole being. So, uh, yeah, he looks like he's is the done deal, doesn't he? Well, there's always quite a bit of chuntering on Tolworth Hurdle Day that perhaps the depth of quality to the action isn't quite what it was over the Christmas period. But you run out of horses in the end. You, know, you can't have them all running brilliant race cards on, on every day of the week and I thought yesterday was a, a great example of some stars of the future in the horses we've just seen and a celebration of the old favourites in the, in the veterans chase which has really taken off this series. £61,900 for the winner, you can see why it's so competitive you put a series on and you make the conditions specific, you're going to get them all there to run for their lives and it's exactly what they did yesterday Lee. Yeah and this, this series and this race distills what's great about jump racing and why jump racing is popular it's popular because people get to know the horses over a long yeah. period of time and some of these we really know them, I mean You've got two 13-year-olds chasing home um, the winner in a fantastic finish on a racehorse that produces finishes like no other. Yeah. This is what's great about jump racing. And the winner had run in... I think the owner, John Pike, said to me afterwards that the winner had been won or been placed in 31 of his last 35 starts. Um, that includes a bunch of pointer points and bumpers, yeah. this, that and the other. A lot of points. Yeah. So, you know, he ran in a lot of points, points and hunter chases. He was third in the John Corbett many moons mm. ago. Fourth, in fact, because our horse was third. But anyway, but no, he's, it's, it's tremendous to see a horse that, again, through the point-to-point through point ranks has come through. I saw Anthony Honeybell before the race yesterday and sort of said, how do you think you'll go? And he said, well, he's just a point-to-pointer who's sort of come to himself. And I, I didn't expect him to be here, but, he's, but Anthony's horses are running so well and he's do, doing a great job at the moment, isn't he? So great to see. And a, and a, a victory uh, laced with emotional significance as well because of the owner John Pike's friendship with the late Richard Woolacott who handled the horse for several years before moving to Anthony Honeyball who has handled him quite beautifully culminating in yesterday's uh, incredible victory and Anthony joins me on the line now. Anthony, good morning. Hi Nick, good morning. Um, I, I really enjoyed chatting to, to John Pike yesterday. Uh, there was a, a great nugget in the interview where he said that when you'd won a, a hundred grand odd with Regal Encore a few weeks ago you threatened to put Regal Encore in here as well and, and there was just the a moment or two where, where he uh, he might have fallen out with you, but it's all had a very happy ending. Yeah, no, we were just keeping him on his toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's obviously a great man. He's a great man to have in the yard, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very much so. Yeah, um, he's and the way he was, um, you know, all the dates and everything was so specific in his mind exactly when everything had happened, and you know, the, you know, he knows the horse. You know, obviously he's. Uh, over the years, you know, he's, he's had such a lot of fun with that horse, and um, and, and uh, yeah, he, he just knows his form inside out and backwards. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a great, great, 
I mean, he's, he's a great man to, to deal with. Um, John is, um, you know, he, he very much, he loves the horse, but he, you know, he very much knows, um, you know, the, the way it works and, um, you know, sort of targets to, to you know, have in mind. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's very, uh, very, very easy to deal with. And as far as, as far as the horse is concerned, it, it wasn't lost on me, really, that you get lots of lovely young horses and you win bumpers with them and you think they could end up going on and winning a gold cup. The vast majority of them will never come close to winning a race that's worth 60-odd thousand pounds to the winner. Um, best things sometimes come in surprise packages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he just came to us, and to be honest, um, we, we were very lucky. You know, he, he had a mark of 110. He'd run very well. Um, you know, he'd done very well. He'd run in lots of, sort of nice races, just getting placed, hitting the bar. And, and we just felt when we had him, it was a clean slate. And we just, um, we, we, we'll just aim as low as, basically, as low as we can. Let's go and get a win and um, get off on to a good good, good start with the owner. And, um, you know, he went and won at Foss last. Well, we were trying to go left-handed, but he was basically trying to, he was jumping terribly right. And uh, we got away with that one and we learned a lot from that race. And uh, he still won. And, I mean, his next race, he, you know, I think he was 17 pounds higher for his next, his next run. Um, so the handicapper didn't miss him. And um, but it's just the way. Yeah, I mean, at the end of last season, being second in that veterans race, um, it, it was always when we saw how that work form worked out. We were really pleased with the way he ran at Carlisle in that. And, um, and we just felt, well, perhaps he is, you know, perhaps that is a race that he would, he would be capable of um, tackling. So, uh, so we sort of. Ever since Carlisle, we, we were just always working back from uh, from, from yesterday um, for the veterans final. So, you know, it was just a bit of a decision early on this season what what, what way we started. But I mean, thank God he's made into a really really fun uh, novice hurdler. You know, and especially if you've got a novice hurdler can start off over three miles on heavy ground and loves it and is tactically, you know, flexible and can you know can cope with ground like that. Then there's probably going to be you know there's always going to be opportunities out there. And we found. We found three lovely novice hurdles for him, and, um, and you know we're all set, fit as a fiddle, and ready, ready for yesterday. The answer to this question is it doesn't really matter, obviously. But what are you going to do with him now? <laughs> well, I mean, literally after the race, I was like, I'm not, you know, that's not even, yeah, it's not even going to start sort of the end of the journey. We've got to sort of reset now. But uh, I, I mean, I don't know. We we sort of started thinking. I mean. He could run in one of your, any, I don't know really. I mean, he, he could run in like a. There's a, there's a, there's a race at Haydock. Uh, there's some there's something that's playing on your mind and you yeah. don't want to say. Well, uh, he's one thirty two rated. He's a novice hurdler. I mean, he can go to Haydock with no penalty, with no penalty, in a Grade Two novice hurdle, five six runners. He can have a play around there and finish. You know, being a I can't see that he wouldn't be in in the shake up turning in and perhaps might get a place in a race like that. Do something like that, or we can. We, we probably will get him qualified for the veterans final again this time around while things are, so we're not pushed next season you know I, I um he'd definitely go back there for that race next season just because it'd just be great fun to have another go at it. it's a lovely race and um you know we'd love to take him back and just be involved again so we'll um yeah we won't be quite working back from that yet yeah. but we'll we will go and qualify him if we if we're lucky enough he's all good and everything's good and at some stage before we end up end the season we'll we'll, we'll get him qualified and in the meantime, you can run him in the Albert Bartley and the Grand National. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Albert Bartley en entry has been spoke about many a few times, but then when we got beaten in the middle of our two novice hurdles, we kind of thought that put us back on, albeit we ran in two days, having won at Bangor, we ran in two days later and got beaten. I knew, we were... I, knew, I, knew there was, I knew there was something that you didn't really want to say. <laughs>
It probably won't happen, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's, um, just a bit of fun. I suppose that, that Albert Bartley, you do need a, it is a very tough, tough race uh, for the younger horses. So, you know, uh, he's, he's not going to, he's very unlikely, but uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're he's entered. just uh, throwing these ideas around anyway. And, uh, you know, we're, yeah, so. Uh, could be the only trend to start a festival week thing. Do we go for the Albert Barlett or the Kim Muir? It's, 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 it's a, a toss-up. <laughs> it's um, is possible at the minute, isn't it? This is, this is a very enjoyable and, uh, and high-class problem to have with a, a horse who's given a lot of people a lot of pleasure in it. For so many reasons, it was a fantastic day yesterday. Anthony, thanks for talking to us. No problem, thank you. Anthony Honeyball, trainer of, uh, of Jack Beck. And, yeah, a lot of people are getting a lot of fun out of these horses. It's brilliant. Um, you know, it's a brilliant series. Um, so it gives these older horses, as we said, a chance to, you know, to shine on a racecourse. And look how well they all looked yesterday and performed. You know, I don't think that race was massively slower than any other yesterday. They're, you know, they're still athletes at the top of their game. They are. You made the point as well, Nick. Not. It's a Saturday that, in the past, has been criticised for being particularly weak. Mm. Nothing wrong with the Tolworth hurdle, but a Grade One novice hurdle in itself is probably not enough to sell a, a headline card. The reality is that not every Saturday can be vintage; otherwise, the term vintage wouldn't mean anything. Exactly. There, have, there has to be a pecking order of one to fifty-two. J pecking uh, order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You are good. Yeah. Oh, and, <laughs> um, and this is towards the bottom of the pecking order, but this race has really helped it. Yeah. Uh, one man who seems to excel <laughs> pretty much every Saturday is the champion trader Paul Nichols. He had another double at Sandown Park yesterday with Silver Forever and Mercy Mercy Me's on the line now. Paul, good morning. Good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, very good form, thanks. And you were down at Wincanton. It was lovely to see Clando's oboe down there. Did he enjoy his day out? Yeah, he did. He went to Taunton last week and uh, Wincanton yesterday, so all the locals could see him and um, thought he's had a fortnight quiet and then start, start getting on with him again next week. And is it, do, do, they, do they enjoy it, or it, does it sometimes get them a bit buzzed up when they do the sort of appearances for, for the crowd at the race course? I presume they think they're going racing again. Yeah, it depends on the horse a bit. Um, they're all different, but he loves it. He had a nice day out. He sort of shows himself off, and it probably does him quite good. Um, he, he, he always goes straight back, eats up everything, and it's never a problem to him. So, um, yeah, it was a good day out for him. Is he quite a laid-back horse as a general rule? Yeah. Yeah, he is, yeah. Very laid-back, and um, you know, that's what you need, really. And you're happy with the way he's come out of Kempton? Yeah, I mean, you would, honestly wouldn't know he had a race. Um, he, he, he was very fit and very well. Um, come out of the race well, and we're going to go straight to Cheltenham now. Completely different training programme to last year. Obviously worked out. He's, he's very effective when he's what I call very, very fit and fresh as well. It's a, sort of almost a lethal combination, and we're not going to do what we did last year and run too soon to Cheltenham. So that's quite interesting. So very, very fit and very fresh. So how does how is that how is that different from the way you trained him last year? I know, I know he had the run, well, but just the, the specifics we, of it. He was going to go to the Demon Chase, which was going to be at Newbury. Then it was put back a week, and it was at Ascot. So that's getting quite close to Charlton. So then you have a run over three, you jump eighteen fences. You've got to go a couple of weeks quiet, and then it's getting the balance right to you know to get them as, as fit as you can um, um, without. You know, overdoing it, whereby if you haven't run for a while, you can do as much work as you like and really stoke into them and what I get them very, very fit, you know? A bit like he was between Dan Royal and Kempton. So you can actually turn more screws because you haven't yeah. put them under the pressure on the race course, yeah. so you're not having to go up to the peak and down again. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, if you, if you, um, if, you know, as I said, if you run at Newbury, say, for example, in one of those trials where yeah. some horses come on for a run, 
but others like him are better off, you know, being very, very fit and very fresh. So that's a combination we're going to try and get right and, as I said, a different programme to last year. And what is it about him, either in terms of his physique or his mentality, that makes puts him in that category rather than the other category? They're all different, aren't they? I mean, Surname, for example, doesn't ever want a lot of work. You just tick him over. You know, he'd be the complete opposite. Um, there's just some horses like that. And the great thing is he, he eats, you know, he eats um, everything. He's, he's a big, strong horse that takes the work, you know, and that, they're easier to train in a lot of ways. You mentioned Surname, and after Kempton, you said, look, I'm just... Uh, your instinct was he was, wasn't quite on point. Has anything come to light to suggest why that might have been the case? Not really. He, he, uh, the only thing I'd say, he's gone, gone quite light on me. His blood was good afterwards. You know, he's never coughed or anything like that. I just, I think, looking back, probably the Ascot race took more out of him than I thought at the time. Even what Scott, who rode him every day, thought. Um, and that kind of had a great run, sort of, and a lot of time up to, you know, because we, we knew we were, what we were doing and going to Kempton was, the surname was prepared to go to Ascot and win, because there's no point going to a race like that without, you know, thinking he's going to win. And, and probably it, it came a little bit quick after that, and I just don't think he was quite his best. And as I said, he lost plenty of weight now, and so we've just got to build him back up and get him right for Ascot in, in the end of February. So that's the Ascot chase, the race we were so impressive in last year. That'll be his next run. Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. As long as I get him back, as I'm happy with him, that's where he'll go next year. Do you think he will end up at Cheltenham in something? I would, I would, to be honest with you, it's not the be-all and end-all with him. If he went to Ascot and won, with Johnny and I sit down and, and, and make, we've got to make a plan actually because the entrance of the channel shut next week, so we've got to decide what we put him in if we put him in anything. Um, but I mean, he, he, he definitely won't have an entry in the Gold Cup because I don't see him as a horse to get the Gold Cup trip yet. We might stick him in one of the other races, or or perhaps go to Ascot and Miss Cheltenham and go for the two and a half at entry. That would be quite a good. So I haven't spoken to Johnny yet. We'll have to get that sorted. And in terms of the Christmas period as a whole, Paul, you had two more good winners yesterday, Silver Forever and Mercy, Mercy Me. Which which horses other than Clan Days Oboe are you happiest with sort of moving forward for the rest of the season? Well, you know, we've got lots and lots and lots of young horses. A lot of them have, found, have been found a little bit by the heavy grain. Most of them are having a, what I call, most of them have had a flu back now. and going to have an easy couple of weeks to be ready to go sailing onwards from the end of January right on through. Frodon's going to go to Kempton actually on Saturday. Um, they're, they're, you know, there are plenty of horses that are having a break now and will we'll get fired up for the spring. And, you know, a lot of nice horses run right on through to the end of the season. This is something I do every year, really. And happy with the two yesterday at, uh, at Sandown, obviously, Silver Forever. She looked quite impressive yeah. in the end. She's a lovely man. Like, she's won three races this year. Two miles is obviously too sharp for when we got big the last day. Much better for a trip. And she'll go for the Jane Seymour now in February, which is a two-and-a-half-mile listed novice mayor's race at Sandown. So she'll go there. And Mercy, Mercy Me, well, it's a third run for us. And he's he sort of got his act together now, and he did quite nicely. Yeah, he did. And uh, Harry Cobden, after the race, was saying he'd almost felt that he was going to curl up and then he was pleasantly surprised that he, he actually dug in and, and was quite game in the end. Yeah, he was. And I mean, he's eight and that's the first race he won over jumps. Um, so he has been a bit frustrated. We haven't had him all that long um, and he's just beginning to get into our system and you know, it takes for ages to get to really learn how to train these horses. Even I'm still learning how about surnaming as it was with Corto and adapting different things to suit them and then hopefully they will keep improving. And if there's two things we know about January, Paul, is that you get the horses vaccinated and you normally manage to find a time to get a bit of a holiday in. Yeah, I'm disappearing for 10 days on Tuesday, um, which I'm looking forward to. Having a day off today at Larker, which I really enjoy. Um, and 
Yeah, everyone's off to Lark Hill today. First race is at <laughs> half past ten, so I better not keep you too much longer. And <laughs> normally, when you're away, your your assistant trainer Harry Derham is very very keen to count the winners in your absence. I've I've noticed. <laughs> Yeah, he will, but we, he won't have too many of issues. There's not going to be many to run. We'll literally be very quiet for the next fortnight. Right, we're going to take a very quick canter through what happened on New Year's Day because we've not been with you since then. And we will start with victory for Album Photo in the Savills New Year's Day chase at Tremor. I was really impressed with this. Yeah, I mean, he did everything that Willie Mullins and Paul Townend of the owners would have wanted to see him do. Um, it wasn't a great race, but equally the horses behind him weren't bad horses. They're, they're, they're the horses with a lot of talent. Um, really pleasing introduction. He'll probably go straight now to the Gold Cup as well, following last year's path. And what I also like about this is it's wonderful when you see a horse like Album Photo appearing on one of the sport's smaller racecourses. Um, you want the best to take on the best, and that shouldn't change. But equally, when you have a horse like that running on a track like Tremor, for, for Tremor, that would have been a huge occasion to get the Gold Cup winner there. And I do like it when one of the sport's smaller tracks gets that sort of gold dust. So you've seen Lost in Translation over Christmas, you've seen Album Photo, you've seen Kenboy and you've seen Clandes Oboe. Uh, is this horse the clubhouse leader to regain his crown? I think he is in the sense that he's the, the defending champion and he's come out and showed he, he's in, in really good order, retains all his ability and also he won't run between now and the Gold Cup so he won't dent his prospects yeah. between now and the Gold Cup. Yeah. yeah. Do you think for Willie Mullins now he's cracked it? They're going to come along like bosses these Gold Cups, you know? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's you've, found the you've formula. There. Yes. Yes. Surely. Well, I, you keep that. I only did a, a few days there, but that counts. It is. <laughs> <laughs> for the purposes of this broadcast, that, that counts. Yeah. That's worth experience. Yeah. No, it's, it, he's got the most unbelievable establishment. I mean, when you're looking at the quality of horses that he's got, most yards mm. to go into, and you've got sort of like the 10, 20 sort of superstars. I mean, him, you just look everywhere and it's just... Strength you, depth, You'd bring it? one off the walker and you're like, oh, God, this is quite big. And you look at his big face and you're like, oh, it's under so. <laughs> like, you just, like, casually just take it off the walker. <laughs> under so sort of eighth most high-profile horse <laughs> yeah. in his own yard. Nicky Henderson's got a few nice horses as well, but he'll have to get another run into Champ because he blotted his copybook in the Dipper Novices Chase on New Year's Day. He might be one of the few Cheltenham market leaders to run between now and the festival. This was two out. Disagreement between him and Barry Garrity. He was very positive. Positively ridden, I thought. Uh, he was, in the race. wasn't he? I think um, he was deciding that he ha he rode him like that from Flagfall, really, didn't he? As though he um, needed to make most of stamina over that trip, maybe. Yeah, and also perhaps make a man of him, as he said. Unfortunately, it ended like it did, which is a huge shame because when you have a, a plan, it's so disappointing to mm. end up on the deck. And as Nicky Henderson said, he jumped so well. The rest of it, it was just one mistake. Um, but he said he thinks, you know, he's gonna. Um, he said he was a bit bruised the next day, but, you know, nothing nothing untoward. So he said he's going to run him once more. Was it at Ascot? In Reynolds Town, possibly. Yeah, exactly. At Ascot, at that, at that February meeting where they run the Ascot chase, where surname might run. Uh, the best race of the entire, well, the entire season, I think, was the uh, Paddy Power handicap chase at Cheltenham. And that was a race won by Old Grangewood for the Skeltons. And the second and third in that race were... Um, San Calvados and Laylor, massive return to form for the for the latter. This was some horse race, wasn't it? If yeah. You, if you were a once a year race goer on New Year's Day, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, it was a fantastic finish between three horses, two of which you can say have become really popular public horses, and now Old Grangewood as well. It was one of those Cheltenham finishes where 
because the, the, the angle of watching race it, Chelm, can sometimes make it very difficult to work out who's who's won a race. I thought going past the post that Layla had definitely won. He hadn't. Old Grangewood had won it. And again, swings and roundabouts, because as we'll discuss in the talking points, the opening race on the card had a reverse yes. for the skeleton, something so that Dan's trip to Disneyland was ruined, apparently. <laughs> but then in that race, Team Skeleton win a race that a lot of people watching at the post thought they hadn't won. I would Great imagine question. a trip to Disneyland would ruin itself before... <laughs> I would before, have thought so too. Before, yes. before that. Um, Rel Keel Hurdle was a, a return... Well, I say return to form. He's been in good form. He's having a fall last time. Somerville boy, but back over hurdles has won. I suppose the dilemma now with this horse is, do you stick over hurdles or, or do you go back over fences? I think if he's performed so well over hurdles, you stick to hurdles, don't you? But Tom George's horse is absolutely flying at the moment. Johnny Burke's flying. Um, I think this is a question for Tom, to be honest, um, whether you ch chance going back again over fencing and, and maybe having a fall, or look how well he's performed here. Well, should we, we, that's one man we haven't phoned up today, so perhaps, uh, perhaps we'll get an answer from Tom between now and the end of the programme as to whether Somerville Boy is going to stay hurdling or go chasing. In, I'll find out. Indicative as well, this race, of the current state of the hurdling scene. So a horse that has come back from chasing has gone and won this, this rail kill hurdle. There's a paucity of, of high-class hurdles, certainly over in that two-mile yeah. division. And it, Wasn't it, it there a was, horse that did that a while ago, sort of big bucks? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. That, it... it, it Boover, there. There's, yeah. there's, there's certainly a, a, a trend for it, but certainly mm -hmm. the minute if you look down the champion hurdle anti-post market, it, it, it's, you don't think that is a race full of stars. Which is why, if I was Nicky Henderson, I would at least give Altior the entry yeah. in the champion hurdle, lest anything should befall any of his other stable stars. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. I'd like to think there's a few people who come here to the Luck on Sunday studio that I could realistically call a game changer. My guest today very much fits that category, but he is very, very rarely seen. He's changed the role of the jockey's agent. The era now is of the super agent, though agent itself is a word that he might reject. He prefers to call himself a man who books jockeys' rides, but it's been a whole load more than that because he's been responsible for the champion jockey for the last 24 years. 20 with Sir Anthony McCoy, the last four with Richard Johnson. His first great success story was Adrian Maguire and those extraordinary bitter tussles for the championship that ultimately proved fruitless with Richard Dunwoody. But he's booked rides for some of the very best for so long and is a great spotter of young talent as well. A rare outing out of his control centre for Dave Roberts. Dave, good morning, welcome. Good morning, Nick. Nice it, to be here. It, it takes us a while to pin some people down. It, it took us a long time to get you because simply leaving home is quite hard for you isn't it it's a very rare occurrence yeah i mean like today while your program's going on i'm still doing the declarations for chepstow and air tomorrow and basically you've got to be on the phone 20 hours a day this time of year it's a busy time of year and while i'm enjoying being here if i wasn't i'd be on the phone ringing for rides for tuesday wednesday thursday friday because all the entries are out and simply that has become the way and and in, in a sense it's partly the way you've shaped the role You've become it's, an architect of your own slavery to the job, essentially. Yeah, you, you, I've set a precedent where you do work them silly hours. Um, and if you let your guard down, there's now other agents who are doing great jobs trying to come through 
and they're your competitors. You, you know, you've got to be on the ball all the time. You am mustn't. I, am I right in saying that agent is a word that you don't particularly like because it conjures up images of sort of greedy football agents and so forth? You're I, a man I who books rides. I would never say I'm an agent. I would describe myself as a salesman of jockeys. That is exactly how I see my role. Agent is a glamorous title which someone gave me 18 years ago, but it's, it doesn't come anywhere near what people imagine a football agent is. And am I right in saying that nobody grows up wanting to be a jockey's agent? It is a, it's, it's, it's a career path you find yourself going down. Um, unless you want, unless you, if you want to have a social life, you definitely don't want to become a jockey's agent. And you've got to be of a certain mentality where you're prepared to lock yourself away for hours and hours on end. And it is obsession is the only word I can use it. Did you know you were of that temperament anyway, or is this just something you've trained yourself to do? Um, we, when we were brought up as kids, me and my two brothers, we were, um, for due to situations, we were sent to work quite early, and it was my dad put a very strong work ethic in us. So I knew from a very early age I wanted to work for myself, and but he always said to us, you know, if you put the hours in, you'll get the rewards, and I've lived by that all my life. So what was your first ever job? You say you were sent to work quite early. How first, early? E first ever job. I was probably doing three paper rounds at the age of seven or eight, something like that would be my first job, I'd say. And even at that age, did you, did you understand the, the, the reward work ratio? And, yeah, yeah, the work ethic paid off. If, if you, most paper boys were going in doing one and going home, I was doing three and going, being late for school. So, and, in, and if they wanted the fourth one done, I'd do that as well. Did you enjoy that? Loved it, yeah. I'd be up at half five, same as today and nowadays, and I'd get down to the paper shop and off we went. I used to love it, yeah. Did you enjoy beating the other paper boys or did you enjoy the money? Uh, I think I enjoyed doing more than one paper round if they were only doing one, yeah. So that, that competitive instinct was in you? Very, from a very early stage, it was, yeah, I was very competitive in everything I did. Um, but I always thought very fair. You know, I didn't, I'd, it wasn't um, trying to prove anybody was less than me, but I always thought the more you put in, if you were going to prepare to go that bit extra, you, things will happen. Uh, and, and you say your father instilled that work ethic in you. Is that something for which you're, you're quite grateful, or was he a hard taskmaster? Um, both, but very grateful. Yeah, he put us on the road, so both my brothers have done very well, and we're all, you know, a whole family is a very hard-working family, and my children are now grandchild. I hope they, you know, learn that from me and follow that on. Is that something that you were able to instill in your own children? Because a lot of people can't replicate that generation to generation. Because if, if your own father's been hard on you, you find it quite hard to do that to your own um, kids. I think they, they've, got, they've, they've taken that from me, but my son wanted to take over the role from me and I encouraged him totally straight away <laughs> from it because he would have no life. So, um, But no, they're both very hard-working and been successful in their own field, so it's great, yeah. So as I say, you don't, you don't set out to become... A jockey's agent but you did set out to to get involved with horse racing why what sparked the love of racing i was um, again my dad had a big interest in racing uh, my schooling wasn't great i used to skive off school and get on the 218 bus and go to Sandown, stand outside and wait for the old lady with her carrier bag coming along and say would you get me in through the turnstile and she used to take me in as her grandchild and off Brilliant. i went Brilliant. so from a young age i was walking around Sandown on my own at eight nine years old yeah and what sort of era was that um, Can you remember who the big players were? When, we, when we were kids, the three brothers, funny, because Jeff Lewis um, was my hero and my other brothers was Jimmy Lindley and Joe Mercer. 
and the person who got me into being a jockey's agent was Jeff Lewis. Really? Which is quite, I'm very, a great believer in things happen and there's a lot of coincidences in life. And um, Jeff Lewis was the one who suggested me being a jockey's agent all those years later when he was a trainer. But the road from being someone who was just working on the periphery of racing to being an agent and taking that first jockey on your books. It was an interesting one. There were some interesting twists and turns along the way. I was with Oliver Sherwood the other day and he said, what? Dave Roberts, he said he was racing manager to one of my first ever owners back in the 80s. Yeah, I did. I used to manage some horses for an Indian businessman and we sent the horse to the jumpers to Oliver and um, showing me age now, but Clive Cox as a conditional rode the horse tack deer to win the first race at Sandown. Wow. Which I hate to show you what my age is now, but that shows the time I've been in racing, yeah. So how long did that last? Uh, about three or four years, and then I, he, he sold the horses and went to America, and I had to sort of make a decision. I wanted to work in racing. I'd built up good contacts by then, and um, I stumbled into Jeff Lewis, who trained our flat horses at the time, and we were round his house one night, and he just said to me, you know, I said to him, is there anything you can give me an idea why I should do? And he said, um, why don't you become a jockey's agent? What's a jockey's agent? There was no such thing at the time. And he explained, and off I went. Jason Swift was the first jockey I took on, which was, I think, his godson, I think. So it was Jason Swift, and then he lived with Dean Gallagher. Mm -hmm. And Dean Gallagher was my first jump jockey, who then recommended Richard Guest, and the rest is history. So it was Dean Gallagher, Richard Guest, and then, then dare I say it, the turning point. That was the big, the big moment came when, because um, Richard Guest rode for Toby, Yes, Toby Balding. Um, of course, Toby Balding, the great Toby Balding. Um, and he said to me one day, you know, would you take on this young jockey from Ireland for me? And Adrian Maguire came on the scene, who to this day is definitely the greatest jump jockey that was never champion jockey. Adrian Maguire was how old when you first clapped eyes on him? He was um, late teens, a um, bit raw, but you could tell very quickly he was very good. A bit like when AP came on the scene, he was very good. He was totally switched on to winning and well above average. It was quite early to tell. You know, in the early days, you knew you'd got something special on your hands. People talk about Sir Anthony McCoy, AP McCoy, as a turning point in the way that jockeys thought about the sport, their professionalism. Would you say that Adrian Maguire was, in his own way, a bit of a culture shock for the sport and the culture of riders? I think Adrian, he was probably the first kind of lad who came from Ireland who made it big here. And his riding style was slightly different to the English jockeys of the day. So I think he did change things um, from people's attitude to the game. And he was very hungry and he was going up and down the country. Or we, we were, as I call it, we, we're a team. So we're going up and down the country together. And... Um, so other people had to do the same. You know, we, we flew to Hexham from market raisin and things that was never been heard of. So, so did you think to yourself, hang on a minute, I'm onto something. I, I, did you feel that you'd, you'd found your niche in life at that point? Well, at the time, there was one other agent who was Richard Dunwoody's agent, um, Robert Kingston. Yeah. And no one else. And I was ringing for rise and thinking, well, there's no, there's no competition. It was quite, not easy, but it was, well, you can place jockeys here, there, and um, so yeah, you stumbled on a real gap in the market and there was no looking back, you know, just make the most of it. It was Maguire and Dunwoody. Yeah. Then it was 
Dunwoody and McCoy. Richard Dunwoody must have hated you. I don't think I come out very well in his books or whatever, but, um, no, but you know, at the time, Richard was um, the number one. He ruled the roost and someone was trying to come along and find a way in, so I don't think I was his... Uh, I wouldn't have been on his Christmas list anyway, put it like that. <laughs> but I always respect him. He was a great jockey, and as a jockey, you could only respect him for what he achieved, yeah. Oh, he was a brilliant rider. Oh, yeah. Brilliant artist Richard and Dunwoody. Oh, the... AP would always say he was, you know, one of the best ever. So I always had respect for him as a jockey, but um, I would have sent him a Christmas card. I don't think he would have sent me one. Did his presence there as the sort of dominant presence as a man of great experience and someone who everyone sort of revered, did that spur you on? Did that give you the target to aim at first with Maguire and then with McCoy? I think the year that Adrian lost on the last day, well, it's not really losing, he came second on the last day, I think um, to ride that many winners, 190 winners plus in a season and not be champion That's jockey... That's got to hurt. ..is you, you can't really ever repeat that. Um, but it made me, as an agent stroke salesman, um, far more... I want to get a champion jockey. You know, I have to... And it want, at that time, it was obviously Adrian that you wanted to be champion, and then, of course, along came AP, which surpassed them both. I don't suppose you're a man who, who looks back with too many regrets, and, and, and nor should you. But do you look back and, and kick yourself that Adrian Maguire wasn't champion jockey because you were close to him? Um, I am, you're right. I don't, I, I, in my belief in life, you should never have regrets. But there's two. One, Adrian should have been champion jockey. Without, and I think most people would agree with that. And the other one you might touch on later is that AP should have got to 300 in the year he got injured. So, well, we But they're the only two regrets I have. We will come to that later. Is there anything you could have done differently for the first one? For Adrian, when you look back, there's always things... You know, you're, you're picking two in a race, and when you lose by two or three, there's many... In the last month, I would guess, there was 20, 25 races where you had to pick one or the other. And you're not going to get it right. You get it... Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. And... For weeks after the season finished, I did look at those races and think, should we have ridden that one? Should we have ridden that one? But you can't turn the clock back. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.